It's the beginning of the holiday season, and we can get so swept into checking off everyone on our Christmas list, buying the biggest tree possible to decorate, or creating the best Christmas spread ever. But let's take our time to focus our eyes on God, the real reason for the season, Jesus. Wherever you are, let's get into that worship spirit. As our worship team comes out, let's sing our praises to our God and sing joy to the world.
joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let you and me receive our king, that joy, unspeakable joy. I'm going to invite you to gather your elements for Holy Communion. The greatest joy we have is that Jesus came. Not only did he come to earth as a child, he came to give his life for you and me. As we hold this bread, it's a reminder that everything we need in our body was taken to the cross on his body. Healing, forgiveness, strength, grace. Lord, I just pray right now for each person there watching online. As we hold this bread, we're reminded that you gave your life for us. You care about us. You're with us. And we receive your life, your grace, your healing, your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, let's receive the bread. And now as we take the cup, it's a reminder of the sacrifices for the joy set before him, he endured the cross so that we can have that joy. May we receive the joy of the Lord, his joy for you, for me, now in this moment. Let's receive together. Amen and amen and amen. Well, thank you for joining us here at Cathedral of Faith. We're so glad to have you part of our online campus. Thank you for being here and may God touch you and bless you today. So there's so many things coming up at Christmas. If you go online, you can see that we have a special sermon series that's about to start this week. It's coming up in just a few moments. We have outreaches to touch people in our community. They're reaching out as we bless thousands of families. We're going to give out thousands of toys. And on Christmas Day, we're also going to have a broadcast that will touch millions in the Bay Area. We encourage you to join us in praying about that moment. Also, just to let you know, on Christmas Eve, we'll have two services. You can join us online or join us live here on campus at 5 and 7. It's going to be a great time to celebrate the birth of Christ. It's a good time to gather your family and come here to campus or gather your family around your screen there and join us. These opportunities we have to bless our community through reaching out, through the toy drive, through our television broadcast, we're believing for God to provide $60,000 through all of us to be part of that moment. So in this moment, we bring our tithes and offerings, but we also ask God about the possibility of going a little above and beyond to give to this special Christmas reaching out offering. You can see that in the drop down in the box. If you go to our website, you can go to our app, or you can go to the number that's on the screen and text it, as well as the opportunity to write out checks and drop them here at the church office through the week or mail them to us. Thank you for being part of what God wants to do to bless our community. Well, God specializes in doing extraordinary things through ordinary people like you and me, through ordinary people like Ordinary Joe is what we're calling him during this Christmas season. Pastor Ken's opening a brand new series that talks to us about Joseph. He never says a word in scripture, but his life had an impact. And this ordinary person gave way to extraordinary things. We're praying that for you. Take a look as we move into this great new series. Hello, Cathedral family and friends. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. 
You know what time of year it is? Just look at the stage. It's Christmas here at the cathedral. I heard about one mom who was, well, she was pulling out the advent wreath and she thought she would quiz her two children uh, to see if they remembered the family devotions from last year about what each of the advent candles meant. And so she asked them about it and do you know what they represent? And the seven-year-old boy raised his hand and he said, I know, I know. He said, the candles represent love, joy, peace. And then he was stuck. He couldn't remember. But his six-year-old sister came to the rescue and she said, I know, I know what they mean. They mean love, joy, peace, and quiet. (laughs) Quiet. For the next three weeks, I want you to think with me about the quiet man in the Christmas story. Everybody else has a speaking part. Mary has a speaking part. The angels have a speaking part. The shepherds have a speaking part. The wise men have a speaking part. Even the in-laws have a speaking part. There's nothing recorded from the mouth of this man. Now he must have said something, but we don't have those words. Instead, he's there silent, almost like an extra in a movie, you know, where his name rolls at the end of the credits. He's there just filling space on the sidelines, the quiet man of Christmas. In fact, we don't have anything recorded from the words of Joseph in the entire Bible. And yet, and yet, if you pause, and that's what we're going to do, and you look at the story of Joseph, you'll find that he's the strong, silent type, the forgotten man of Christmas, this ordinary Joe. We read in Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse uh, 18, we read, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, she was, while she was still a virgin, She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. What can we learn about this ordinary man, the quiet man of the Christmas story that can help us to write our story during this Advent season? Well, first of all, think with me about ancestry 
Ancestry.Joe. Well, back in that day, there wasn't Ancestry.com, but they did keep very good records of their genealogies. And that's why at the start of Matthew, even before the passage we read, well, the very first Christmas tree is a family tree. We see the family tree of Jesus. You know, so-and-so begets so-and-so, and so-and-so begets so-and-so. Now, normally, when I run into those begats, I'm tempted to just skim right by them. I mean, if you're having trouble sleeping, read through the genealogies in the Bible. If you're still having trouble sleeping, you know, put on one of my sermons, and that will definitely help you sleep. But with this family tree, well... If you don't skim right through it, you'll find some surprises that are in it. The first surprise is that there are four women included in this genealogy. Then that may not seem like a big deal to you, but it was a big deal back then. Because women were not usually included in genealogies. But when Jesus came into the world, he came to restore the dignity of women and to lift the status of women. And all the women said amen to that. But it's not just the women that are surprising. It's the women that Matthew chose to mention that are surprising. I mean, if I was including women in the genealogy, I would have included the four matriarchs of the Old Testament. You have Sarah, you have Rebecca, you have Rachel, you have Leah. Include them in the genealogy. But instead, Matthew includes three, four women that that are scandalous. None of them are Jewish. Three of them have a very shady past. I mean, I would have never included uh, Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba in the genealogy. Those are the people you want to hide. The only reason you would include them is to make a statement that every family tree has a few fruits and a few nuts. Hello. But that the grace of God is wide enough The mercy of God is wide enough to include even people like us in the family tree of Jesus. But the main reason Matthew starts the Christmas story with a family tree is to show us that Jesus is a descendant of David. Because That was a very big deal. A prediction was made that when the Messiah showed up in the world, he would be a descendant of David. We read one of those predictions in Isaiah 9. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. David's throne. And his kingdom. See, Matthew, who's writing to a primarily Jewish audience at the time, doesn't want them to miss that Jesus is that promised Messiah that they had been waiting for. That through his legal father, Joseph, he is a descendant of David, and he fulfills that prediction. In fact, there are all kinds of predictions that Jesus fulfills in the Christmas story. We we read another one in Matthew chapter 1, how 
The prophet predicted that when the Messiah showed up, he would be born of a virgin. And that's what happens in the birth of Jesus. In another place, it predicts that when the Messiah shows up, there'll be a special activity that you can see in the heavens. And that's what happens at the birth of Jesus. Uh, It says in another place, it predicts that when the Messiah shows up, that people would come from other parts of the world and bow down and worship him. And that's what happens at the birth of Jesus. Prediction after prediction, Jesus fulfills. Do you know what the odds are? A mathematician once calculated, what would be the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of those prophecies? Jesus fulfilled many more than that. But what if one person, you know, just fulfilled eight of them? What are the odds of that? Well, he, he put it like this. He said, let's say you take a silver dollar and you put a mark on that silver dollar and you put it somewhere in the state of Texas. Then you cover the state of Texas with silver dollars. You cover the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet high. And then you blindfold a guy, you spin him around and you set him loose in Texas and he has one chance to pick up one silver dollar. What are the odds that he would pick up the one that you marked? Those are the odds that one man in human history would fulfill just eight of those predictions. That's why nobody did it before Jesus. Nobody has done it since Jesus. Jesus is the only one who fulfilled those predictions. And that is why Matthew wants us to know that you can put your faith and trust in Jesus, that Jesus is the king that the world had been waiting for. So ancestry.joe, we learned that, well, Jesus, through his legal father, Joseph, is a descendant of David. That's a very big deal. And then we come to what I call blue-collar Joe. Uh, Joe's family at some point moved from Bethlehem to Nazareth and they set up shop. Joseph was a carpenter. That means he would make things like ox cart and ox carts and window lattice and, and even made on occasion artificial teeth. All I can say is watch out for those splinters. He was kind of the micro of the day, the chip gains of the day. He was a blue collar guy who ran estimates, you know, made bids, and who worked with his hands. And that is another surprise. There are lots of surprises in the Christmas story. Because I would have expected that the new king would be born into a royal household. In that household, he would be able to learn how to rule and how to reign. Or that he would be born to a a legal father who would, well, be a great philosopher or a noble rabbi who would be able to fill his mind with great thoughts about life and God. But instead, Jesus is born to an ordinary guy, a regular guy like you and like me. And that to me is encouraging too. That God chooses And uses ordinary people like you and like me. Joseph was a carpenter. He had learned that trade from his dad. And he would teach that trade to his stepson, Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter. Did you know that Jesus was a carpenter much longer than he was a preacher? Now, why is that? I'm not sure, but I do know this. Jesus came to save 
not only our souls, he came to redeem our work, to sanctify the work of our hands so that we would know we don't have to be preachers for our work to matter. That we can pound nails, that we can flip burgers, we can mow lawns, we can clean houses. Whatever work we do, when we do our work for God, it matters to God. In fact, if you have eyes to see, when we offer our work to God, it really is an act of worship. Jesus came to dignify our work. He was a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter. One of my favorite paintings is called Joseph the Carpenter. It was painted back in the 17th century and it hangs in the Louvre in Paris. And it's a, a, a picture of the shop, the carpenter's shop. There's Joseph with a young Jesus. You can see Jesus holding a candle, a light, kind of coming through his hand because Jesus, after all, was the light of the world. And Joseph is working with an auger and there's wood on the ground and he, if you look carefully, you have to look carefully. You'll notice that the auger is in the shape of a cross. And the wood of the ground is in the shape of a cross. And it's a foreshadowing of what would eventually take place to Jesus the carpenter. That the hammer would be used on him. And that the nails would be used on him. And that he would be strapped to a piece of wood. And on that cross, he would save the people from their sins. Boy, I hope that moves your heart to praise this Christmas. So we have ancestry.joe, we have blue collar Joe, and then we run into heartbreak Joe because Joseph runs into a crisis. Have you ever run into a crisis? In one film, there's a crisis at Christmas. See if you remember this. Life is like that. Sometimes at the height of our revelries, when our joy is at its zenith, when all is most right with the world, the most unthinkable disasters descend upon us. Don't you hate when that happens? Oh, when a crisis shows up. On the one hand, a, a crisis will shape who you are. On another hand, the crisis will reveal who you are. It's a little bit like this mug. Uh, you can't see what's inside this mug. There could be orange juice. There could be coffee. There could be hot chocolate. You can't see what's inside of it until it gets bumped. And then what's on the inside comes out and the same thing is true in a crisis well when we're bumped in a crisis see a crisis doesn't only shape who you are it reveals who you are and you see what you're full of now let me ask you a question as you look back at the pandemic and how that crisis has well shown you more about yourself you know what have you been full of have you been full of fear or full of faith? Have you been full of despair or full of hope? Have you been full of anxiety or full of peace? Have you been full of 
cowardice or full of courage? Have you been full of gutlessness or full of grit? Have you been full of retreat or full of resilience? See, a crisis, it, well, when you get bumped, it shows you what you're full of, and then it gives you an opportunity to grow. Now, this is where Joseph finds himself. He finds himself in a crisis in that very first Christmas. And to really understand the nature of the crisis, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph at the time. He is engaged, he is in love, and he is preparing to get married. Some kids were once asked some questions about marriage. Here were some of the answers that came up. Eric, age six, was asked, what exactly is marriage? And he said, marriage is when you get to keep your girl. You don't have to give her back to your parents. I love that. Here's another question from Kelly, age nine. She was asked, how does a person decide whom to marry? And Kelly said, well, you flip a nickel. Heads means you stay with him. And tails means you try the next one. Sounds like a good method to me. And then you have, well, Bert, age five. I love this guy. He was asked, what's the proper age to get married? And he said, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find myself a wife. Watch out. This guy's a mover and shaker. And that's what happens to Joseph. Joseph has found himself a wife. Now, back in that day, well, the, the process of getting married, it was a little different in that culture than it is in our culture. It began with an agreement. And the agreement was between the two parents. It was a formal contract. Now, the kids could give clues on who they wanted to marry, but the parents were really involved in that process, in that decision-making. Now, if you're a teenager, that may sound like the worst idea ever to you. If you're a parent of a teenager, that might sound like, seem like the best idea ever to you, whatever. What I do know is that this is how things were done. And that day, parents were involved very much in the process. So they enter into the formal agreement, and then there's a season of betrothal an engagement period. It lasted for one year. They lived in separate homes. They didn't have marital relations. But this betrothal contract was so binding that it took an act of divorce to break it. Now, this is where Joseph is at. He's waiting for the great celebration where there is a marriage feast and they will be husband and wife in every sense of the word. And then crisis hits. And his world is crushed. He finds out that Mary's pregnant and he's not the father. And so he assumes what any of us would have assumed at that time, that he has been betrayed by Mary. Have you ever been betrayed? Back when I was in high school, I had a girlfriend. We were going study for two years. We were going study because back when I was in high school, that's what you did. You went steady. Now, I didn't have her name tattooed on my arm, but I did have the, her initials cut out in that sparkly tape that was up on my back windshield. So she was my steady girlfriend. And then one day I walk around the corner 
and there is my girlfriend kissing my best friend. My girlfriend ran off with my best friend and I sure do miss him. Hello. (laughs) Oh my. Well, I moved on from it and one day I'll tell you where those bodies are buried. But if you've ever been betrayed, you know how that can just crush you. That's what happens to Joseph. I mean, Mary tries to explain, but Joseph, come on, man. He can't get his arms around the idea of a virgin birth. And in one poem called The Temptation of Joseph, what imagines Joseph's own soul that's taunting him. Joseph, you have heard what Mary said occurred. Yes, it may be so. Is it likely? No. Mary may be pure, but Joseph, are you sure? How is one to tell? Suppose, for instance, well, maybe, maybe not. But Joseph, you know what? Your world, of course, will say about you anyway. Joseph is crushed. He experiences this crisis. And what is on the inside of him is about to come out. And that is when we run into a do the right thing, Joe. We read in Matthew 1.19 about Joseph. It said Joseph to whom she was engaged was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Another version puts it this way. It says, Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. And then another translation describes it this way. And her promised husband, Joseph, being a just and upright man and not willing to expose her publicly and to shame and disgrace her, decided to repudiate and dismiss, divorce her quietly and secretly. Joseph was a righteous man. What that meant is this. He was a man who tried to do the right thing, who tried to obey the law of the Old Testament. That means he would not eat unclean food. He would not hang out with the wrong kinds of people. He would not keep his business open on the Sabbath. He tried to keep the rules, obey the law, to do the right thing. And now he's faced with a situation where, well, he knows unfaithfulness is morally wrong and there should be consequences. And he knows those consequences could be quite severe. That, boy, she could be exposed publicly. She could be shamed publicly. She could be punished publicly. In fact, every once in a while, they would even stone a woman to death publicly for that kind of thing. What would Joseph do? What did he feel like doing? I can't be sure about Joseph, but but I know that when somebody hurts me, first thing I want to do is hurt him back. Maybe I'm not the only one. Carrie Underwood had a song a while back called Before He Cheats. And part of it goes this way. I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped up four-wheel drive. 
carved my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger of both headlights, slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. <laughs> you go, girl. We know how you feel. All of us, well, we've got that part of us. It's a little bit like this raccoon that says, revenge will be mine. Let me ask you a question. Have you been hurt? Are you still carrying around that hurt? What I've learned about life is this. The more I hold on to my hurt, the more it holds on to me. Today can be the day you let go of the past so you can take hold of your future. My guess is that, well, having a public divorce at least passed through the mind of Joseph, that at least went through his mind. And yet, Joseph, something else is gonna emerge from him. Have you wondered why didn't, why didn't, God revealed what was going on to Joseph. At the same time, he revealed to Mary what was going to happen. Well, it sure would have saved Joseph a lot of stress and a lot of sleepless nights. But what if God's goal for Joseph and his goal for us is not to take away all our stress, not to take away all our sleepless nights, but instead we find ourselves in a situation where God is going to pull out of us something that we don't even know is there. And that's what happens in Joseph. God is going to reach down inside Joseph and pull out mercy and pull out compassion. That Joseph, even though he needs to end the relationship with Mary, he's not going to drag her through the mud. And because he's a righteous man, his righteousness shows up in how he'll treat Mary with mercy and compassion. It's the perfect pairing of law and love. That's what we see in Joseph. That's what we see in Jesus. When Jesus comes, we read that he's full of grace and truth. It's the perfect pairing of justice and mercy of compassion and morality. We see this time and time again in the life of Jesus. Fast forward to an event where a woman is caught in the act of adultery by the religious leaders and the religious leaders are gonna try to use her to take down Jesus. They throw her at the feet of Jesus and they tell Jesus, they say this, look, the law of Moses says that this woman should be stoned What do you say? They're trying to set Jesus up. And Jesus gets down in the dirt and he starts writing in the sand. They're screaming, he's writing. And he says, you're right, you're right. You know you're right. So he who is without sin casts the first stone. That changed the mood. One by one, you can see him peeling off until eventually it's just Jesus and this woman. Jesus is the only one, the only one who was without sin. He had every right to cast the first stone, but instead we see this perfect pairing. He says to her, where are your accusers? She says, they're all gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go 
and sin no more. Full of grace and full of truth. It's the perfect pairing. I know in my life, I tend to, you know, lean one way or the other. It's all grace or all truth, but the perfect pairing, how do you do the right thing? It's that perfect pairing of grace and truth. So let me ask you a follow-up question. Are you facing a messy situation and you're trying to figure out how do I do the right thing in this situation? Boy, I wonder if Jesus learned something from his earthly father he saw his father modeled grace and truth and, and Jesus picked that up and he modeled it. I know I've learned some things from my earthly father because I saw him model the same kind of thing. I remember 30 years ago, we were in a partnership. We owned a television station and we partnered with another television station and the partnership ended up not being a very good partnership and we had to dissolve it. And when we were dissolving it, the other partners, they went on television and they told lies about what had happened and they told lies about my dad and lies about my family. I was so hot after I watched that program, I had to get on my bike and ride until I cooled down. And by the time I got to Bakersfield, I was starting to cool down. But I watched my dad in that moment, how he had that thing inside him, that grace and truth to take the high road and do the right thing. Maybe Jesus picked that up from his earthly father and I've picked it up from my earthly father. And an ordinary Joe like me and you can learn to do the right thing in a messy world full of grace and full of truth. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us like you do and meeting us in this moment. And I believe even in this season, when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, a messy situation, we're trying to do the right thing in a broken world. God, I pray that you would help us this week to lean in, to lean into the wisdom of God, the example of Joseph and the spirit of Jesus, that we can do the right thing. Full of grace. And full of truth. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' glory, amen. And amen. Well, Jessica Johnson is coming to bless you with an amazing song. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature
Jessica, joy to the world, the Lord has come. I pray that, boy, you'll lean into that joy this season. You know, if you need prayer, please reach out to us. We'd love to pray with you and pray for you. There's so many ways to stay connected online here at Cathedral of Faith. And I encourage you to take advantage of, of all those resources. I hope you know how much you're loved, that we love you and we do pray for you. And we're so grateful to be on the journey with you. And I want to speak God's blessing over you during this Advent season. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine brightly upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.